Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the postgame Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Delayed by me. My daughter had state band today, but no more band stuff. So we'll start making sure we get these podcasts to you right after games. Ohio State beats Nebraska 26-17. Is that right? Is that the score? Yeah, that was a score, right? Two scores? Yes. Doug Lamar is here with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. Nathan and Stephen in Omaha. No, in Lincoln. Nope. They didn't, they didn't yep. stay in Omaha. They stayed in Lincoln. They just ate in Lincoln. And so this is uh, 10 p.m. Saturday night. Again, sorry we're getting it to you late. We're going to break down this game. I don't know. We don't, I, I don't think we could talk a lot of context. There's some other interesting stuff going on in college football, but we'll have time to get to that on Monday Madness. This game deserves an analysis on its own. And I want to start with as much as Steven took a deserved victory lap after Ohio State rolled up a giant score in the first half against Indiana two weeks ago. Nathan, I think you probably deserve some kind of victory lap because the way things have unfolded the last two weeks after that Indiana game, you said, well, yeah, Ohio state's offense is doing all this stuff, but they played two teams in a row that were missing their first string corners. Indiana was playing a fourth string quarterback. Their offense couldn't muster anything. Let's see what happens when this Ohio state offense faces a better defense. And Nebraska, I think to me, the Nebraska defense we saw today and what I thought the Indiana defense would be two weeks ago are on a similar plane to me. And then the Nebraska offense on Saturday was able at least to hold the ball, make some drives, right? It wasn't like the Nebraska defense was worn down because Nebraska's offense was going three and out the whole time like Indiana was. I think your, not pessimism, Nathan, but your little bit of your wait and see attitude about the offense a couple weeks ago feels pretty smart right now. Do you want to take a lap? Well, not really. I'm a little bit surprised at what we're seeing right now. I don't know that I thought it would be the extent to which we're seeing right now, which is a really curious, you know, last week, the red zone thing almost seemed like a curiosity, like, Oh, one out of six touchdowns in the red zone. You still got in the red zone six times. You're getting points out of that. You're playing maybe the best team that you're going to face in some ways uh, the, the rest of the season. So, okay. An off week, you just had to get field goals instead of touchdowns, whatever. And then you get a week like this where they're not even getting in the red zone. 
Like it was really a struggle for them to get. It was, we haven't really seen an Ohio State offense that is just st- sort of stuck between the 30s the way they were today. And I've. It's curious to me that we'll talk about this a little bit more. And I'm really curious your perspective because getting to watch the game where we were sitting, um, there's no TVs. The only replay that we had to rewatch anything is the end zone TV, the end zone screen at a distance. Shouldn't call it a TV. That'd be a pretty monster TV, the jumbotron. Um, so when I, I don't feel like we have absorbed this game the way even maybe you got, you were and the people who watched at home, but like, I'm very curious your thoughts on, on this offensive approach today and how much of it was things Nebraska was doing defensively, which I think was legit a little bit. I think Jojo Doman's a really good player. I think they've got some other good players on the defense, but it, it felt like today there was just this weird funk in this offense. And whether that is, it's a weird thing to say on a day where CJ Stroud goes for 400 yards and Jackson Smith, the Jigba goes with a monster game, but something is off. Like, and is it a, is it a crisis of confidence, lack of a better term, with the running game? Um, because Ryan Day really seemed to get away from the balance that he wanted and made some really in- questionable decisions, I thought. I don't know. But, but something is kind of off right now, and I don't, I don't know what kind of recalibrates it here going forward into some pretty important games. So I did ask a bunch of what I, I think we have a good feel for where listeners are where fans are because I did a text or survey after the game, kind of trying to get at what do you think the issue is with the offense? Because I'll be honest, I feel like watching it here. I don't have a great handle on it. I know Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson on the call. Again, Joel does a great job breaking it down in the moment. Um, very critical of them throwing the ball late when CJ Stroud got hit and fumbled and it was almost disaster time. The fact that Ohio state wasn't salting that game away on the ground left them flummoxed. Uh, before we get more into it, Steven, what, what, what was your vibe watching it there of, of maybe why this team did not put up more than 26 points on Saturday? I think CJ Stroud pressed as a quarterback and really got out of character for maybe the first time that we've seen this season. But then also, Ryan Day has been very questionable as a play caller the last two weeks here, going from he was really vanilla last week, and then this week, there's being aggressive and there's being conservative, but there's also just being smart. And I think sometimes he tries to be so aggressive that he forgets that sometimes you need to be smart and know when it's time to just take your win, cut your losses, and get out of there. And he didn't really do that this week. So, yeah, the offensive line didn't do its job for the second straight week, and so you didn't have a running game. Yes, there were some times where C.J. made some bad throws, but that all reflects back on the guy who's calling the plays, and that's Ryan Day. And he's he's not doing a good job right now. I do think it felt less connected. The best offenses, the run and pass game, feel very connected to each other. And mm-hmm. you can feel, if not play-to-play, at least drive-to-drive the way – well, you do one thing and the defense adjusts, so then you do another. And I do think, I, we've talked about that a lot. I feel like a lot of times this year, Ohio State's made the opposing defense an accordion, where it's like if they pull in, then they throw. If they stretch out, then they run. And they've had defenses back on their heels. It did not feel like that today at all. And, and when they did throw, it didn't feel like it was necessarily leading to anything. And the result is Jackson Smith and Jigba has a record-breaking day, has an unbelievable individual play and effort on the one-yard drive, the one-play drive, the 75-yard touchdown. But frankly, a lot of the other 200-plus yards that he put up were kind of empty yards because they didn't 
lead to things yep. because Ohio State only had one other one real touchdown drive. They had a one play 75 yard drive on an absolutely stunning play by JSN. And then only one other actual drive led to a touchdown. And I, I agree with you, Stephen, and it's weird. And, and so I do think there's two things at play here. I have a lot of questions from the textures that, that really they gave some good answers. I'll, just generally right now, because the hard part of this, and I, I don't know that I wrote a great column after the game. To me, it's like, do they still have great receivers? Yes. Do they still have a great offensive line? I mean, I don't think they're playing great, but I still think their individual players are very good. Do they still have a dynamic, super dynamic freshman running back? Yes. Is Ryan, Gay, Ryan Day still a great play caller? Yeah, we've seen it. Is C.J. Stroud like a great young quarterback? Yeah, we've seen it. So it still feels like all the pieces still exist, and it's hard for me to wrap my head around why they're not fitting better together. Nathan, how much of this was that they just were playing lousy defenses for a month and that they actually aren't as good as we thought? And how much of it is, you know what? They are. They have 11 great offensive players most of the time on the field, but they're just out of sync. Which one is it more that they never were quite what we thought and the schedule made them look that way, or they actually are that and they're just off kilter, which one's closer. Well, we saw, I I think it's, I, I think it's the latter. I think there's something that's off kilter right now. And I, because I think you can go back to the Minnesota game even, and that's a bad example to bring up on the day that Minnesota loses at home to Illinois. I understand, but we still saw the explosiveness that night. That is not a good defense. Um, although defense isn't the reason that Minnesota started losing more games, but I, you saw the explosiveness from day one. And it feels like that's always been in the back pocket. Um, and, but I think what, what I, what is, again, to get back to like, it just, it feels like what I think what you put it, I think you put it good. I think you put it, I think you put it aptly that this, this doesn't seem to be a, an offense that's connected right now between the, the run and the pass. And I it felt like this the, all week, Ryan Day was like almost positively giddy, reminding us multiple times, and we don't get to talk to him that much, but like reminding us multiple times, we ran the ball 34 times and threw the ball 34 times against Penn State. That's exactly what we want. Like he was so ecstatic about like having that kind of balance. And then very early on, like from the, like the second series of today's game, that balance was very askew. And he seemed to perpetuate it. Here's my question. I, I, I agree. With, I agree with Nathan that it's the latter. Here's the question. Of, here's why it's the latter. How many plays do you remember from today that just kind of were routine? This is what Ohio State's going to do every week. Because even the 75-yard touchdown pass, that's just like Jackson Smith and Digma broke a guy's ankles and then Chris Olave took out two guys because they're great players. But those weren't routine plays. They never got into those routine opportunity out routes that we see all the time. Some of the drag routes over the middle, the inside zone run that goes for seven yards. This offense is built on routine plays that gets it into a rhythm. Then then you go for the strikes downfield. It was no routine plays. And then every first down, it's let's take a shot and let's see what happens. So that's why you can maybe lean maybe on there's just something that's off right now versus this is what we should expect going forward. But still, yeah, it, it, I'm going to keep saying it. It falls back on the choices Ryan Day and the plays he decides to call and when he wants to call them. So the breakdown today was 
um, 30 runs and 54 throws, right? I think that's right. That's the, the what you're saying, uh, Nathan, and- a, a year, a, a week after exact balance in play calls, 30 runs, 54 throws. Go ahead, Nathan. And, and that includes the two kneel downs at the end count as runs. Okay. That includes, I think, a couple where uh, that includes a couple sacks, I think, and things that were that were called dropbacks that CJ Stroud uh, ends up on. So it's even it's even more unbalanced than that. So let's let's get to the heart of one of the questions. It's not the first question I asked, but I think it's part of what we're dealing with here. To the texters, do you believe that Ryan Day has some history of getting pass happy with his play calls? Yes, eighty five percent. No, 15%. Steven, would you vote yes on that? Yes. Very yes. So let's try to figure out why. Steven, why do you think that's the case? I think there is a method of this that is just simply, if we throw enough of them, we're eventually going to out-talent you and get them because Chris Olave is what he is. Garrett Wilson is what he is. And I believe in C.J. Stroud's arm enough that if we throw enough of these aggressive plays at you, a few of them are going to hit, even if every so often we end up not getting it on fourth down. And there, so I think that's a part of it. But then off, it's, the way he answers questions about the offense, especially when you ask him about play calling, because I asked him about it today, Bill Landis asked him about it today. He's an offensive guy who takes some pride in the fact that he can dominate you offensively. And right now that's not happening. I, I wrote in the thing after the game, some of the things we've talked about that, Ryan Day is a quarterback who became a quarterback's coach, who became an offensive coordinator, who became a head coach. And sometimes it feels like maybe he's being one of his previous jobs while he is a head coach. Uh, Nathan, do you think there's just something intrinsic in Ryan Day that he almost has to fight against? Or I wonder even have someone who's in charge of tapping him on the shoulder that Ryan Day could say on Tuesday, hey, Kevin, when I'm getting pass happy, whisper bingo in the headset or something, right? Like uh, snap me out of it. Do you think there's something about Ryan Day that he falls into it sometimes, Nathan, without even like even maybe realizing he's doing it? I'm thinking of the Seinfeld episode where they go up to steal the answering machine tape out of the girlfriends. They're like tippy toe, tippy toe, lemon tree, lemon tree. Uh, I just want to hear Kevin Wilson doing that on the headset. So here, I think it's a very, I want to go watch the game again because I think it's a really nuanced question because yes they threw the ball that many times but it's it's more complicated than that because as we talked about before part of this team's passing game is an extension of the run game I think one of the things that's a problem right now is it doesn't feel like Ohio State is um, attacking vertically as much as it was at times earlier this year and they're not being very efficient with it today I used people um, I, I looked on the advanced stats in the 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 game score that they gave us. And it was, I think CJ Stroud today was like 16 of 19 on throws under five yards, uh, 16 of 20 on throws. And now just think of that. Like we're getting into a ton of throws, 16 of 20 on throws of five to 14 yards. And then four of 11 on throws of 15 yards or more, which is essentially, it was almost exactly what Adrian Martinez did on throws of 15 yards or more. And Adrian Martinez is not known as a, is a deep ball threat, a vertical passing threat really. So there, some of this is that element seems to be, I can't say that it's disappeared, but it seems to have dissipated a little bit here. And maybe, maybe like you're saying, maybe it never really was there because they love to attack horizontally in the passing game too, almost like before they get to the vertical stuff. 
But I feel like without that vertical attack right now, I think that's contributing to the way teams are defending them and why they're seeing more guys in the box and why they feel like they need to like throw over that, around that, however you want to look at it. There was a play where I think it was a little bit of a broken play where CJ Stroud sort of escaped the pocket, then took a deep shot to Chris Olave in the end zone and just overthrew it. And there were kind of two guys there. And I think it hit maybe even hit Olave's fingertips. And they, they showed on the replay, like Ryan Day gave, I think, I think he gave CJ Stroud like a thumbs up. Like, yes, that's it. Like, good try. Good shot. We want to take those shots. But that's part of why, you know, Chris Olave, again, is not necessarily getting to do the things that he does best because that part of their game is not. Um, as much there as it's been there before. We're going to take a quick break here, but I do want, I wanted to say this off the top and I didn't say this. I've, I've been told, I think I annoyed some people with my Nebraska fatigue uh, deal on Friday. I know some people have blamed me for this and I will accept that blame. No sticks tonight. This is just serious football talk and congratulations to that guy from Montana. Cause he hey, lit up the secondary speak, on two big his plays. Name with some respect. I don't even remember his name. So is it Samari Toure? Samari Touré. That, okay. that guy got up every morning in Montana. He had to dodge a bear no, 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 I'm not. every day on the way to practice. You think See, he's scared of Lathan Ransom? You're being facetious about it. I'm only being serious, Doug, tonight. No more facetious, okay. Doug, about Nebraska. Actually, you've made you've both made cogent football points more recently than I have on this podcast because I have, probably haven't made one in a month. So you guys can be <laughs> facetious and have a good time. I'm going to be serious football, Doug, because I, I think – after this game, I'm, I'm wondering about some things, but yeah, that guy, um, I don't think that's like a primary part of this because in the end, holding Nebraska to 17, you should win easily, right? The issue is not the 17 in this score. It's the 26. Yes. There were a couple individual breakdowns, both involving the safeties that led to his two big catches and runs, but in general, right. The defense kind of did its job. Go ahead, Steven. Yeah, I, I, I think just, I was the one that's about to jump in. Actually, oh, sorry. Go ahead, say that go ahead, in, in the post game, Matt Barnes said that that was on the play call, both of those. And I, again, not having a chance to go back and watch the game, but he said on both of those plays, and Kerry Combs had kind of said it too, that they were doing some things in man to man coverage that had been taking something away from Nebraska there. And then it went wrong on both of those two plays. And Matt Barnes said, we put guys in bad positions. So I want to go back and see better what that was that they're talking about. But they, they kind of fell on the sword for both of those plays, although I still think that deep safety play is a potential really crippling problem for this team. But it, go ahead, it, Steven. Yeah, even but even with those big plays, I think we're at the point where this this defense is what it like they're gonna give up a couple of big plays, but if the most if most of the time they're making teams drive and they're making it hard for people in this defensive line that's getting home, which they're top five in the country in sacks right now, which that was kind of out of nowhere. Uh, I think it's fine. I think you live with the big plays. The defense is holding up its end of the bargain right now, which is, you know, being good enough. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. So well done by that Montana guy. But I also, I mean, we're also in a world where if, ne if Nebraska gets a little better quarterback play today, if Nebraska gets better in-game coaching, Scott Frost is a terrible in-game coach. I swear, I, I really think, and I didn't watch Illinois today, but Brett Bielema has won two games for Illinois this year against an, an, an undermanned, less talented Illinois team has beaten Penn State and Minnesota this year because Brett Bielema adopted a style of play and, and stuck to it in those games and coached them to victory. I, I'm not saying that that's what would have happened, but I'm not so sure if, like, if Brett Bielema is Nebraska's coach today, Nebraska might win. 
Like Scott Frost does not know how to coach in game. All those field goals he tried that he didn't go forward on fourth down. The guy's job is on the line and he's trying to kick a field goal on fourth and four in a six point game. It's like, it's malfeasance. I have, he's, he's afraid of himself in the big moments where a guy like Brett Bielema was like, I don't know, let's try not offensive lineman. If we lose, we lose. I can't believe that at three and six and now three and seven, Scott Frost just rolled over like that. Rolled over. Ohio State's the beneficiary, but he rolled over like in an embarrassing way. I can't believe that that's how they went out. We'll come back with more talk about this on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice back with Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, 614-350-3315 if you want to be a tech subscriber. Um, just so you guys know, we keep saying like, go ahead, go ahead. Nathan and Stephen are both on their phones instead of on Zoom video because there's crazy stuff in hotels and they're getting the job done while being there live in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I'm sitting in my basement. So we're all good. It's an important post-game pod. I, I have bigger picture questions that I ask the texters, but I really, really want to get to this because it's a, it's a primary thing that I think I want to talk about. I'm curious where you guys are. So they have 54 passes and 30 runs is what they wind up with today. It's like, Hey, why didn't you run it enough? Well, on the run plays, they averaged three yards per run play, and they averaged 7.5 yards per pass play, right? So, yes, I think people think they should have run it more, and that was one of the questions that I did ask. Should Ohio State have run the ball more? Yes, 85%, no, 15% from our texters. But, again, they were obviously much more productive throwing. They also had a 75-yard catch and run. They didn't have a 75-yard run play. Trayvon Henderson's longest carry of the day was his final carry 22 yards on the final field goal drive that clinched the game. And part of me thinks like, well, maybe if you had run it a little earlier, maybe you would have popped a run like that earlier in the game, but sometimes it takes a little while for a run game to work it out. But in the end, there are 30 runs, 21 carries for Trayvon Henderson, three carries combined for Mayan Williams and Master Teague. And then a couple for C.J. Stroud and some random stuff in there, a couple kneel downs. So my question to the textures was this. If Ohio State should have run the ball more, how should they have done it? More Trevion Henderson, who had 21 carries. More Mayan Williams and Master Teague, who combined for three. Or more C.J. Stroud. Either more scrambles or more keeps in a zone read game from C.J. Stroud, who was credited for four carries. Nathan, which of those would you pick? It's like, if they should run it more, how should they have run it more on Saturday? That's a great question. <laughs> I, well, I, 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 and, and I want to jump in before you answer, because that's part of my point. Because, yes, they should run it more, but I'm not sure what the right answer is to that question, Nathan. And I think the answer might be do something where you run with C.J. Stroud more, but that is not me buying into the criticism that people have of CJ Stroud, not running the ball more on his own accord. But before we get into that, um, Steven, I think you actually, when we were at dinner, you were talking a little bit, not about the CJ Stroud stuff. I think that's a different conversation, but just about the, the usage with yeah. uh, Teague in particular. I think master Teague has a role in this offense and it's short yardage red zone situation where you just, it's fourth and two or third and two, and you just need a push. And that's not, this is not taking anything away from Travion Henderson, but we have, this kid's 18 years old. He's just probably not physically ready to do stuff like that. 
And then last two weeks have shown us that maybe he's not ready for that type of role. But Master Teague's kind of built that way where at worst or even at best sometimes he's just going to get three yards because he's going to fall forward. He's got those big broad shoulders and he's kind of built for short yardage situations. So I think in a world where you know Travion's your bell cow and he's the guy who's going to get the lion's share of the carries and you're trying to figure out who his spellback is or who, you know, and figure out what everybody else's role is in that running back room is, I think he has, Master Teague has the best opportunity to have a role when you're having short yard gain situations and you're having problems with, with that. That's where you can use Master Teague. I kind of joked before the season that there could be a world where maybe Master Teague led this team in touchdowns just because they all came in the red zone and he only had maybe 132 yards because of it. This is the time to use Master Teague in that role, and it doesn't take away from what Travion Henderson is. Yeah, I think I disagree with that because I think I don't know. I know Master Teague. It definitely looks like Master Teague has a two by four and his shoulder pads, but he's a guy who traditionally sometimes chops his steps in the backfield, and I thought. Today, again, today was not a red zone day, like a red zone issue day, right? The issue was like they sort of didn't get in the red zone enough. Yep. What, what was their, I'm trying to think, do they have red zone conversions? What was the red zone numbers? I'm not seeing it here on this box. Uh, three of three, one touchdown, but, two field goals. So the, so the issue was the touchdowns. But like Trevion, the one third down, they, he sort of got, as third and two, it was on the it was on their only touchdown drive that ended with the pass to Olave in the corner. Mm. On third and two, they handed it to Travi and he kind of tested it up the middle. There was nothing there. He went outside. There were two defenders there, and he like dove through the two defenders and got the yeah. first down. So, and I, I I don't it is to me it's not what you're suggesting. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I I just am wondering. Twenty one carries for freshman who didn't play high school football last year. I don't know, Nathan, that I can look at this and say, oh, that guy should have had 30 carries today. That the solution for Ohio State and trying to win a national championship is to run the ball 30 times with Trevion Henderson at Nebraska in the first weekend in November. Like, do you, like, should he have had a lot more carries than 21? No, I don't think he should have had a lot more carries than 21. Like I was saying, I, and it's why I said that I think that the answer might be and I know CJ Stroud is not CJ Stroud's not Justin Fields and he's not, he doesn't have the same kind of speed. He's not the same kind of athlete, but I think if you run some more uh, for lack of a better term, normal quarterback, like run stuff with him just to, just to give defenses another wrinkle they have to respect. I feel like Ohio State doesn't do that really at all. And if you do that just a couple more times, I think it's all about finding different kinds of balance. There's, you, you find balance between the run and the pass, but I think you try to also find balance with the way that you run the ball, right? And the, the looks that you're giving defenses. Things are becoming a little bit predictable to me. I, I am intrigued, and I, I do want to talk about CJ as a runner, but I am intrigued by the idea that Travion Henderson started the season as the number three running back in this offense and now the two guys, Stephen, who started the year ahead of him, it feels like to me that Ohio State like doesn't believe in those guys because this is a game with a lot of offensive plays and they don't put Mayan Williams and Master Teague in the game, like basically at all, three carries. And as much as we were all pushing for, they've got to go to Trivion, they've got to go to Trivion, I'm a little surprised now 
And again, we talked about, hey, in a lot of these games, they were limiting Trevion's carries and they'll use him when they need him and they needed him today. But Steven, I just think there would be room for, hey, it's the fifth series of the game. It's Mayan series or it's master series. And we're going to try to march down the field with them and just use them that way. Do you think they believe in Mayan Williams and Master Teague? And do you think it would make sense at all to just use them to give Trevion a real break? Or is that is that not what it's about right now? I do agree with the idea that it seems like they were just waiting until the day they were allowed to just use Trevion and not have to worry about anything else. And they just didn't want to do it from day one because it just doesn't look good from an optics standpoint. Yeah, I do. I think, I, I don't know if I mentioned it to Nathan or I just thought about it in my head, but it got to a point where Travion, I think, had played maybe six or seven straight series before we saw a different running back. And then mine had the good run, but it got brought back because of the holding call on Dewan Jones. Yes, he, I, I don't care how good your running back is. He still needs a spell every so often. And they're not living in that world. It basically took Travion going down again. And whatever happened in that situation, whether it was his head or his knee, whatever it was, him going down again. And so he just he basically was screaming at them, hey, I need a series off for them to put somebody else in the game. I am all for living in a world where three series on and then give something to Mayan. Three series on and then give something to Mayan. That's the world they lived in in 2019 with JK. It was every three series you saw Master Teague. That's how it should be, even if you do have a workhorse at running back. So the interesting thing is, the last time they had a quarterback who didn't run, it was Dwayne Haskins in 2018. And the run game with the tailbacks didn't really work in 2018. And we've covered that many times. J.K. Dobbins was in his own head, and we know all that stuff. But they did have two tailbacks in 2018. And J.K. Dobbins got 230 carries, and Mike Weber got 172 carries. And so in a world where your quarterback was not part of the run game, you could split up the share of the tailback run game. And Nathan, right now, they have a quarterback who is not part of the run game, and that means they're basically putting the entire run game on an 18- or 19-year-old freshman because they are not splitting up any of those tailback carries. And it feels like Ryan Day, if Ryan Day is saying to himself, I can't run Trayvon Henderson 35 times, then the solution is don't run it at all. Just throw it. Or treat some of these bubble screens and stuff like that as an extension of the run game. But that, I do think, Nathan, they're a little bit caught in between on that issue right now. I know that this sounds like one of those times where we start to contradict ourselves, right? Because we were asking, you know, why isn't, Trevion start, why isn't Trevion playing more, you know, two, three games into the season? And finally, obviously, he rubs against Tulsa. And then a, a big thing is, uh, well, when is he actually going to get to play enough? Because he would get banged up or they'd get in these lopsided games. Like, when he's actually get carries? And now he's getting him, and we're like, whoa, hold on. Why not? Why give? Why are you giving him the ball so much? But I think it wasn't really until uh, this game that I, because I think we, it was. It's easy to get distracted by his top end talent and what he can be and what he will be and what he even is sometimes right now. But I think I probably had overlooked just that how much of a load you are asking a person of his age and experience and everything to take on. In, in, in any one given game so and 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 it's been weird to kind of watch like I the, the dynamic has shifted to the part where like Mayan Williams and Master T do seem like secondary or like farther down the list options in this offense now they, they, they they're almost afterthoughts and I, I think they do have to find a way to to rectify that a little bit you're going to have to find a way to, to take the load off of his shoulders a little bit, because here's the other thing. 
there are definitely running backs who want the ball more and more and more, and they do. It does build for them, and they it's just part of their DNA a little bit. Like they they need to be fed. They like to get in that rhythm. It builds over time. They wear on teams. I do not get that vibe from Trevor Henderson when we talk to him. Like it, part of it is unselfishness on his part. Part of it is pragmatism on his part. He's already a guy who's thinking about not having too much tread on the tires when he's in the NFL. And I'm not knocking him for that necessarily, but I think this isn't his mindset necessarily to go get the ball 25, 30 times in a regular basis. Remember he just had 28 last week against Penn state. It just does make me wonder like, what is he thinking as, as a competitor when, when those carries start to pile up, does he think of it in a different way than another running back would? I, I don't know. I do want to po- point one thing out though. What's going to help with that is if they, if the offensive line gets better, because part of the reason why they were able to keep his carry so low is because he was getting seven, eight yards per carry. And so he was getting the, he was getting the same production that somebody with 20 carries would have and just less carries right now. The offensive line is not doing its part. So there's a lot of plays where he's just ramming himself into the line of scrimmage because there's nowhere to go. So if you clean up some of this run blocking, that cuts down some of his carries. I'm not saying he's going to average 8.8 yards the rest of the season, but right now he's not even at, you know, six point whatever yards per game. He's in the, you know, 4.55 yards per carry range. So as the run blocking gets better, that can help with his carries because it's less of a load he has to carry. And to it your point, like go ahead, go ahead. Andrew. Just real quick. It, it does seem like he's still getting gashes, but I definitely noticed this. And I noticed it throughout the Penn state game, especially the way that those lanes that he usually runs through just closed up so fast. And that, that's been just an adjustment these last two weeks. Part of that is playing defenses that were probably a little bit better up front. Part of it is uh, those guys watch film, too. They've probably found some new ways to attack Ohio State. So the last two weeks, Trevion Henderson, 59 carries. Mine Williams and Master Teague combined six. And I guess Master Teague was out last week. But, I mean, again, right. we're talking about last week, it was 34-34 passes and runs. 28 of those. We're Trevor Henderson. This week, they run 84 offensive plays, 54 passes, 30 runs. If they want to have equal balance, that's 42 and 42. I mean, are you going to run him 38 times? Are you going to run Trevor Henderson 36 times? It got to be one of those games because they didn't have really explosive plays beyond the Jackson Smith and Jigma 75-yard run. They did have a lot of plays. And if you're going to run, if you're trying to want balance and, and to have balance, that means you're going to have to run it 40 times. Uh, you have to use your backup tailback or you have to run your quarterback because in the, in the Urban Meyer iteration of this offense, man, it, Urban always wanted balance, but they never, they always ran it more than they threw it because if you had 80 plays in a game, you might throw it 30 times, but you'd run it 50 times because your tailback might have 25 and then your quarterback would have 18 and then your backup tailback could have nine or something, right? There's no quarterback run game right now. And so the texters in saying, well, what should happen? Should it be more Mayan and Master? Should it be even more Travion or should there be more CJ? They said 41% more mine and master. So that's sort of what we're talking about. Get the backup guys involved. 38% said, hey, 21 carries. Travion can handle more than that. More Travion on Saturday. And 21% said more zone read and keeps for C.J. Stroud. Steven, is it realistic to think 
that they could legitimately make C.J. Stroud a bigger, I, would, I wouldn't say regular part of the run game, but bigger part of the run game where it is now, where maybe he could have seven carries in a game and, and five of them are designed quarterback runs either on a keep or on a QB power or QB draw. Do you think that's possible given the way this offense works and given CJ's abilities? I think it's fair to have five to six plays in the offense that are simply based on the idea of it's a read option, but one of the options isn't to throw the ball. That's like they do. They do a lot of reads, but it's a, yeah. it's a read. It's an RPO. It's not yeah. CJ. You can run here. And they did a little bit of that today. They, they had the speed options a couple of times. So I am for the maybe five or six times you do it where there are opportunities for him to keep because right now there are not opportunities for him to keep and actually run. It's keep and throw it to somebody. Nathan, what do you think? More CJ? Yeah, I mean, that's what I said up front. I think you've just got to throw another wrinkle at teams because as much as, yeah, I think that it makes sense to mix in Mayan and, and Master a little bit, but, you know, the, it, it, you're essentially running the same things just with different backs, and I guess you would argue lesser backs. I think that's important to just maybe ease the workload on, on Trevion Henderson a little bit, but I think if you find a way for C.J. Stroud to run the ball, then I think you are giving teams a different wrinkle. It's something else they have to defend. It is, it's just something a little bit less predictable than what Ohio State's been giving teams for these last couple of weeks. I, it does make me wonder if either because of the previous injury that C.J. Stroud had if he's hesitant to, to run him in those situations or, or give him some of those kinds of plays. Um, I had also just from watching CJ Stroud earlier this year, I thought uh, when he did run and he slid, he was sliding head first every time and kind of like crashing down yeah. on that same shoulder. And I was kind of like, somebody probably needs this guy to teach this guy how not to slide in such a way that he's almost assuring himself of getting hurt again. So maybe that's part of it. Like they, they don't, of the skills that CJ Stroud has, they may be least confident in his ability to run, not just with his legs, but kind of with his mind and his whole body. There is some kind of either fox or coyote on the field at the USC Arizona State game. And it just jumped from the field up over the concrete wall and ran up the steps of the stands. And now it is running in the rows of stands. I don't think it's actually a coyote. I think a coyote would like be tearing people's feet off. I think it might be a fox. That's crazy though. It's not like a cat or something. It's like a fox. I don't. I don't know that next, there's. Next, the next head coach. Yeah, it's a John Fox. I don't know that <laughs> there's a there's a perfect solution to this, but it is kind of interesting to me that just a couple of weeks ago I was asking Ryan Day before the Penn State game, like, hey, you guys have really seemed like you've limited Trevion's carries either because he had a ding or purposefully you're trying to get him through the year save him for when you need him he's like oh yeah yeah and then we're definitely doing that and then it's like oh cool so like now you get into a game where you know it's a little bit tighter whatever it's like oh you're gonna work your backup running backs in it all no 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 our back our backup running backs they're glued to the bench they're they're doing nothing it's it's do we think they don't like i don't want to say not trust but like they must nathan they must think there's a like a huge drop-off from Travion to Master and Mayan, the way they're using them right now. They must, yeah. I think, and there is a drop-off, I think. Obviously, be yeah. Between, between who can go the distance on any single carry. There's a drop-off. I understand that. But, like, with anything in the off, it'd be like, 
well, if that were the only thing that was important, then you would just run like vertical routes with your, with all your receivers and just chuck it every time. Right. Like there's, there's, it's, it's, there's more nuance to it than that. And I think just the, the, the benefit of taking Trevin Henderson off the field for one series and having his legs one series more fresh in the second half. I don't know. That seems kind of obvious to me that I'm sure that if Ryan day were here, he'd tell me I was an idiot, but that seems common sense to me. This is a weird conversation to be having because the exact thing we all said was going to happen happened. The problem is it's not working. So now we're questioning it when in all, I mean, I don't think anybody's shocked that Travion Henderson is the only running back they trust at this point. There is a gap and we all agree that there's a significant gap. It's just right now that gap and what they're doing isn't working. And so it's, this is a weird conversation to be having. I I, I do just think if, if you had asked, if we had said theoretically, you know, late September, Hey, say Ohio State's tailbacks run the ball 30 times. What do you think the ideal breakdown would be? I think we all would have said something like, oh, like Trevion, like 22 or 23, Master and Mayan, seven or eight, right? That I, I don't know that any of us, Nathan, would have said 30 to zero or 28 to two, right? No, right. No, that's fair. Yeah. So today was yeah. more like more like the 28 to two kind of thing. All right. That's, I think, something to explore a little bit and that's a specific running back issue i wanted to get into so i do think the idea of run it more but what does that mean is interesting i want to get into this because i i again think this is maybe a bigger deal than people are making of it although maybe people are making a big deal of it i think you could argue that ohio state's best football player so far this year has been garrett wilson and if you would make that argument then ohio state didn't have its best player on saturday And I think most of the time, if a team doesn't have its best player, you'd be like, man, that team didn't have its best player. But Ohio State has the deepest receiver room in the country. They have what has been viewed as the best offense in the country, basically the last six weeks of the the season. So I think it's easy to sort of not gloss over it, but think like, ah, they can make up for it. Steven, how big of a deal was it that Garrett Wilson didn't play in this game? It's a big deal. It's because we talked to Brian Hartline about why they weren't rotating in the first place and the idea of, if you're taking a guy off of the field, the guy behind him better be, you know, you, the, 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 the production better not drop. And the, clearly the production drops when you take the starters off of the field, especially when the guys who were playing X receiver day were Julian Fleming and Marvin Harrison Jr. And they might be really good one day, but right now they're not Garrett Wilson. And so going back to what I said earlier about some of the routine throws and the routine plays that we've seen from this offense, We didn't see any of those because those guys don't get open the way Garrett Wilson gets open. Those guys don't make some of the freaky catches that Garrett Wilson makes, even though Julian did have that catch, that toe tap that I think was a catch, but they ruled it as an incomplete pass. But they don't do that on a routine basis the way Garrett Wilson does and makes it look kind of easy. And so when you're missing that from an offense, but that's also had a hard time getting Chris Olave the ball, you get a day like today where Jackson Smith and Jigba is the only reliable receiver. Marvin Harrison and Julian Fleming combined four catches for 47 yards today. Jackson Smith and Jigba is 14 for 227. Olave, seven for 61. I thought Njigba had 15. 15. 15 for 240. The official Nebraska book I'm looking at. Oh, they're missing one somehow. Okay. Bad on Nebraska's book. I actually did think, I, I know people are putting out there like the photo or the screenshot of Julian Fleming with his foot in bounds and the ball in his hands. I actually did think that after that nanosecond of that, 
he bobbled it and then did not get his foot back in again after the bobble and that he did not have complete control. So I actually kind of agreed with not calling that a catch. So JSN goes bonkers, but in the end, like, is that a good thing for the offense or not? If like, that's your whole offense and, and it's a great individual effort by him and great, he did his job and CJ found him, but Nathan, like did the offense holistically, they didn't have three incredibly dangerous on the, receivers on the field every play they had two and another guy who's kind of young and coming along do you think that fundamentally affected how this offense operated saturday that that they didn't have three game-breaking receivers out there every snap again i want to kind of see how it plays out more when i go back and rewatch. but theoretically yeah i think it did and to me the thing that has kind of always opened things up for i mean i actually think it's a it, it does show some a, a kind of progression for this offense that Jackson Smith and Jigba had the kind of game he did with either Olave or Wilson unable to play, because I think their presence has always sort of opened things up more for him. And in today he showed, no, not really. Like uh, they can focus more on me. I'm still going to have this monster game, but then that should have been taking focus off that opened things up for somebody else. And that, that one, that really wasn't there. I mean, Harrison and Fleming combined for 12 targets but only four receptions. They had as many targets as Alave did combined and only got four catches out of it. Alave had seven. And it really, Smith and Jigman Alave combined for 300 yards. So that part of it is pretty normal. But I think they were missing that third sort of explosive element. When, you, when the running game stagnates for long periods like it did, I think that third piece would have been important, especially because, again, they use when they use the passing game as an extension of the run game and you're getting the ball out to – Garrett Wilson on the wing and the flats, whatever, like he can turn that into something that these other two guys probably can't quite do yet. Is it fair to say that because of the amount of weapons they have, like they're not Purdue, like David Bell had over 200 receiving yards today, but he's their only option option. So when he does it, that's a really good thing for Purdue's offense. I don't think it, because of what Ohio state brings to the table, I don't think it's ever that good, good when one guy, has this much production and everybody else isn't doing anything. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because, you know, if, if Chris Olave had 60 receiving yards and Jackson Smith and Jigba had 60 receiving yards with Garrett Wilson out, then we'd be saying like, man, Oh, well, they can't throw it without Garrett Wilson. They didn't throw it at all. It's like Jackson goes crazy. And now I'm asking like, Oh, did they miss Garrett? I, I do think they did miss Garrett Wilson. I do think it's part of the connectivity that, Hey, all these things that we're doing to Jackson, that's going to open something up. For Garrett, because I do think we know this Ohio State offense is designed in a lot of ways to work that slot receiver. And Jackson's been doing that to perfection all year. Olave is more the deep ball guy, but they aren't doing that great right now. But that sort of in-between guy is Garrett. And they didn't have that in-between today, right? It was, well, they took a couple of deep shots to Chris, didn't exactly hit. Jackson's doing his thing, you know, and on slants and little curl routes in the middle of the field. But that that Garrett almost, I think, connects Chris and Jackson. And I think that helps connect the whole offense. And that wasn't there as much today. So I'm trying to figure out, like, what was the biggest issue? I, I asked this rank in order. And I did the ranking question correctly. Rank in order the biggest issues for the Ohio State offense Saturday. These were the options. C.J. Stroud's interceptions and some other issues for C.J. Stroud. Ryan Day's play calling. The offensive line and the offensive line shuffling that Dewan Jones had an illness and was sort of in and out of the lineup. And we saw that 
or Garrett Wilson's absence. Nathan, what would you have put number one on that list of the, what was of those four the biggest issue? Ooh. I might ooh. I might pick Stroud, although I think Day's play calling was a factor there. Okay. Steven, what would you have put number one? Play calling, and I think that's what the Texas picked too. Yeah, I think the Texas. The Texers picked offensive line play. Hmm. Offensive line play, 1.88. Ryan Day's play calling, barely second, 2.44. C.J. Stroud, 2.45. And that Garrett Wilson's absence definitively last, 3.24. I was almost a little bit surprised by that because I I don't want to underestimate the importance of Garrett Wilson just because they have a lot of other good guys. Because as you said, Stephen, like clearly Marvin Harrison and Julian Fleming right now are not anything close to Garrett Wilson. So I, I do think that mattered. But we've talked about Ryan Day's play calling. We haven't really talked about the offensive line. We haven't really talked about C.J. Stroud entirely yet. Let's go to C.J. Stroud first. The numbers, again, like big-time numbers. If you're a Heisman voter and you didn't watch the game and you only go to the numbers, the dude threw for 405 yards. Now, he had two interceptions along with two touchdowns. He completed 67% of his passes, 36 of 54. I'm sure you guys did the video afterward, but I'm, I'm curious to hear it. Like, what, what was your grade for C.J. Stroud today? Stephen, what was your grade? I gave him a C-. minus. This was a bad day. I think he set the tone with a lot of, you know, really bad decisions, really bad throws early on, and he never really came back. And then he acknowledged that after the game that, you know, he forced some stuff and he shouldn't have forced some of that stuff. But he never seemed like he was in rhythm with anybody outside of Jackson. But a lot of that came against zone coverage with Jackson just sitting there in the, in, in the soft spot of the zone. I, I gave him a C-. This was just uh, – He's had games where we could say, you know, C.J. Stroud was really good. He's had games where Ohio State, if they lose this game, he's not the reason why. If they would have lost, I think you would have had to put him on the list of reasons for why they lost. What was your grade, Nathan? Uh, I gave myself an F because I started to give him a B- minus and then <laughs> talked myself down to a C+. Plus. Like I said, I, I thought the way this game was called put him in some tough situations, but he clearly made some bad decisions on his own early I thought he was really telegraphing throws early on Uh, he really stared down his receiver on that first pick that that Doman got off of him I thought and then obviously forcing it in uh, that throw off the run the they got picked later in the game and you know those are two specific examples of drives that were heading towards the red zone especially that first one I think they were at the 22 when they snapped that and they got picked off at the nine so I mean you can almost put that down as a red zone um, possession that didn't end up in points, you know? So it was probably points taken off the board the way Noah Ruggles is kicking right now at the very least. So yeah, I, I think this was by far his worst game, probably since the Tulsa or, Yeah. Probably since the Tulsa game. I, I thought for as much as, uh, you know, you guys are right with the idea of him forcing it. I also thought at times he got to his check down really quickly and very happily took, yeah. hey, let's take the two-yard throw. which And, and like I wasn't sure why that was because I felt like it, sometimes it wasn't that he was under immense pressure, but all of a sudden he's throwing a three-yard ball to Rucker or something or just dropping something. Did you feel that, Stephen, at all? So there's one play 
um, they send Travion out on a wheel route. I think it's Jackson who has a comeback route to go back out to the sideline. And if he's a little bit patient, Travion is open. And it's probably a touchdown because of what Travion is and how wide open he is when he gets the ball by then. But he's not patient on it. He decides, eh, I'm going to go with the easy thing here to Jackson on the sideline. It ends up being a good game, but it's not a touchdown. And that's one of the things that he hasn't necessarily – that's the part of his development that's not there yet. He makes good decisions, but he doesn't make the best possible decision to maximize some of this stuff. And that's what you're talking about here. There's a guy open. Go get the touchdown and stop trying to just work your way up the field all the time. I feel like sometimes he's trying to find a rhythm in his own head sometimes instead of just taking the best possible option the defense has given him. And so I agree with that. Sometimes he does get to the easiest possible option a little earlier than he needs to. I thought the the intentional grounding was really bad too, Nathan, right? It's just yeah, kind of, yeah. he just got rid of it really quick. It, it wasn't like the guy was, you know, the pressure was right on top of him and he just threw it to nobody. And, and I wasn't sure why. It's a weird thing that we're simultaneously having a conversation about him forcing it. And then at other times, like getting rid of it too early and not waiting for something to happen. But I think Nathan, it, this was a game where both of those things could be true at the same time. And, you know, maybe this is just a guy, a redshirt freshman who's used to having that third receiver there as like a security blanket. You take that out of the mix and maybe that gets in his head a little bit. I, I don't know. Complete, complete speculation on my part obviously, but when that guy has been so reliable for you every week and now you're just adding that big variable to things, maybe that threw him out of sync a little bit. But I also think some of this is, again, some of those defenses that they played during that run of just the, like the Mongol hordes, Genghis Khan, whatever they were doing to teams for a month there, like those are some pretty bad defenses when you're, by the time they got depleted by injuries. And I'm wondering if it's a combination of better defenses, plus just the farther you get into a season, the more people have broken down film on CJ Stroud. They've got new ways to attack him. And now he and Ryan Day have to come up with a counterattack to that. And they've got to do it pretty fast because they've got some interesting teams coming up still on this schedule and they can't just cakewalk into the postseason. I was going to save this point, but I'll, but I'll talk about it right now. So this is the set. So they scored 26 against Nebraska. They also scored 26 offensively against Penn State. Because right. they won 33-24, but they had a defensive score, which people pointed out last week. So, C.J. Stroud threw for 405. But I do think we are at the point where I don't necessarily care what their yardage is. Yeah. That I mean, it's always about the scoreboard. But in a world where we've had conversations about, well, Ohio State's going to score at least 35 or at least 40. Can the opposing offense get there? Steven, we're, we're talking now a world where if the other team scores 28, they've got a shot. And that is not a world that I would imagine Ohio State fans are super comfortable in when we were thinking that this was a 35-point minimum offense for basically the whole season. I said this in the video as well. I mean, last week, like two weeks ago, actually, we're having pods and we're legitimately having a discussion of is this this year's super offense and is it comparable to what LSU and what Alabama were? I'm that conversation cannot happen anymore. They I said they need to earn that right again to be the 
by far best offense in the country. I still think they're the best offense in the Big Ten just because, I mean, they're more talented than everybody, but they have to earn that again. They have to earn the right of benefit of the doubt of, oh, they're just going to score 35. Can the defense hold a team to 21? They Because right now, I'm not sure. I mean, see, I, I'm not sure anymore how many points this offense is going to score anymore. So some of these ridiculous score, score predictions I've been making, I'm going to have to chill out on a lot of those because they – you're right. They're getting all the yardage that they can in the world. They're getting down to the red zone, and then they don't finish the drive off, which is very similar to 2018. And I will say, like Nathan, the idea of 28-26 or 28-24 or 31-28, those kinds of scores against Purdue, Michigan State, and Michigan, those, those are realistic things. If we're talking about can any of those teams beat Ohio State 45-42, that's a very different world, but this offense is not operating in a different world right now. No, I think that's a great way to put it. And that's what I've tried to, been trying to say for a couple of weeks is, and it's why I came out of last week as, as big as the defense came through in some big situations against Penn state, my and thought coming out of the game was when they play a team that is balanced on offense, that they have to actually respect that team's running game and it's passing game not even just that that team is like world beaters on both sides of the ball. They don't have to play the Alabama or LSU the last couple of years. But you get a team that's just pretty good on both sides of the ball. I mean, I guess Oregon is maybe the example. I don't know. But like, because we saw what happened there. So when they play another team like that, is is this defense, it, the combination of this defense still having some holes and this offense now being not as atomic as we thought it was. I mean, is that how you get the, the loss that ends your season? Okay. We are going to take another break and we're going to come back and get back to what the results were. Well, this results of this thing have the offensive line as the biggest issue. We're going to talk about the offensive line and then we're going to go big picture about this offense and about what could be on the table to happen in the next three games. Next on Buckeye Talk. So we have to talk about this offensive line. That was the, the thing that the texters said was the number one issue on Saturday. So they used both the line with Dewan Jones at right tackle, Nicholas Petit Frere at left tackle, Thayer Munford at left guard. And they also used Thayer Munford at left tackle, Nicholas Petit Frere at right tackle, and then Matthew Jones at left guard. Nathan, is that like, oh, if the line didn't play great necessarily again, that was part of it? Or they're so used to both those lineups that shouldn't be an excuse. And then the line just played how it played. And like, how do you think the line played? Uh, the, the last one is, is again, tough in, in real time. I think this, the, this line has had a tougher time the last two weeks. I think the defense that they've been playing has had something to do with it. I think it's possible. We've been doing this a lot, right? Where it's like, okay, this thing, but then also this thing is true too. And I, I think it's possible that a lack of cohesion on the offensive line, a lack of continuity is affecting things. But I actually think this is one where Ryan Day might be right, that they, a lot of what they have done is not, they're not just doing it. They don't do it as much for the sake of rotating as we make it out to be sometimes. Like there, it does seem like there have been things just cropping up, whether somebody gets banged up in game or whether Dewan Jones can't start the game today because his tummy hurts or whatever. Like it's, it, there have been enough of those little things that it's happening out of necessity too. It's not just this thing where they're mixing Matt Jones in to keep him placated or fresh or whatever. I, I, so I think if they found a week where they could just keep five guys 
starting the game healthy and keep them healthy for a whole game. Now, maybe that would have to include not doing the Matt Jones thing. I, I don't know. But if, if they could just keep everybody healthy for a week, maybe we'd see better play just through that too. But that hasn't been on the table here for a while. It seems like, like Thayer Mumford has been banged up a little bit. Um, I think Paris Johnson Jr. even had a game where he had to come out for, for getting banged up a little bit. Like, it just seems like every week somebody gets tweaked a little bit. And it, in that case, you want, you'd like to say, well, then it's still actually a strength that they've got Matt Jones to put in there. So I'm, I'm not 100% sold on where I stand on that because I think it is happening enough out of necessity that it's not just an experiment gone wrong. First and foremost, I want to say you calling Dewan Jones's stomach flu a tummy ache devalues the stomach flu. So I'll start there. Okay. Was it, no, wait, but did, did they say it was stomach flu? He, he said it was ill. He had like a stomach bug or something. But that's you calling it a tummy ache is what basically a four-year-old says when they've had too much ice cream. So you, you devalued his stomach ache. Okay. But, also, he's he's six nine. Yeah. And 360 yeah. pounds. His tummy, there's a lot there to ache. Yeah. So yeah. I am not yes. that I, I am not devaluing yeah. that. Yeah. I will. I, I'm there though. I think they need to just pick their five and stick with it at this point. Well, but it's one of those. Well, what if some guys aren't playing great? It's like, what if well, if guys aren't playing quite as well, do you play them more for the continuity? Or is it like, hey, man, you're not getting it done. We're going to shift it up. I, I don't know. It did feel like, again, I, I want to go back and sort of look at every offensive play and find every offensive play that I would judge as unsuccessful and then determine what was the primary reason that play was unsuccessful. Was it the quarterback? Was it the route of the receivers? Was it the offensive line? Was it that the, the play caller got lost the chess match against the defensive play caller? I'm curious to see where some of this stuff would land. I do feel like just anecdotally remembering a couple of plays in my head, I think the tackles, there was at least one play where Dewan Jones got beat on an inside move. And these tackles are really hard to get around in the pass rush around the edge because they're long and they have pretty good feet and they will kick, kick, kick and get, get their hands on you and push you wide and give CJ Stroud a pocket to step up into. They're really hard to get around. They, you can't beat them with bend and speed around the edge because they're too big and too long and too athletic. But I do feel like Dewan, I remember got beat inside at least once I, last week NPF got beat inside at least once I don't know if defenses are figuring out how to attack these tackles a little bit. And then I don't know how good Nebraska's defensive line is supposed to be. I thought some of the interior guys got beat on a couple plays and some of the pressures were just guys losing their one-on-one -on -one matchups last week. It felt more to me like blown assignments. My instinct right now, and I might correct this on the Monday pod is that it wasn't as many blown assignments. It was sort of like just sort of losing your matchup. But I did think that I understand why people voted the offensive line maybe at the top here because, you know, Nathan, we lived in a world before where they were having their way with people. They, you couldn't get to the quarterback, and they were steamrolling people in the run game. And at the very least, they didn't dominate this game. Maybe they didn't give up a ton, but they didn't dominate this game, and we have seen them dominate games at times this year. And I don't know what, if what comes, which is it's the chicken before the egg thing. Like what comes before the other, you go back to the Penn state game. If, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Ohio state come out and throw the ball. Like it, the balance wasn't there at the start of that game. I thought they came out and threw the ball a lot to start that game. They definitely were doing it today. I just, and I thought, especially with Garrett Wilson being out with 
them feeling like the offensive line performance was a little bit uneven last week. I thought they would come out this week and maybe emphasize the run. Like come out and like lay that foundation and let everything build off of that. Maybe that's too simplistic in, in my thinking, but like I thought that that would be a way that you could sort of control the game. I feel like th- this offensive line should be one of the primary strengths of this team. And in order to, and, and they've been really good in protection, I think most of the year, but the combination of them and CJ Stroud, um, whether it's sometimes detrimental or not, but getting the ball out of his hands, like they've, they've avoided a lot of negative plays in the passing game. And I think that's, that's good, but I think they could come out and really plow through some teams on the ground. And it doesn't always have to be just uh, Trevon Henderson turning the six yards into 60. It can be just those smaller gashes, those seven, eight, nine yard plays that Mayan Williams and master T can get those too, as we were talking about before. So I, I was a little surprised that they didn't come out and emphasize the run more at the start of this game and let that be sort of the foundation. My favorite thing about the Penn state game was the run game wasn't good early, but they didn't abandon it and they allowed it to figure itself out. And then when they needed the gash play, they needed the 68 yarder. Travion Henderson went out there and got a 68 yarder. And, you know, my Williams had some moments today as well. So they, when, when they need it to happen, it finally does break through when you don't abandon it. They've had two games this year where if it doesn't work in the first quarter, we're just not going to do it. And it's this game and it's the Oregon game where they just go, it's not working today, so forget about it. We're just going to toss it around the yard and see what happens. Do what you did in the Penn State game, even if you don't – even if, like, at the end of the first half we're going, hmm, you're only averaging three and a half yards per carry. Well, that's eventually going to pick up as you wear down on these defensive lines. And when Ryan Day goes away from that – it does more detriment to his quarterback and to his passing game. It's really hard when your receivers are so good and Garrett was out today, but I still think it could be in Ryan day's head. It's like, well, who do you believe in the most right now on this offense? And I think Ryan day does have great faith in CJ Stroud, but he especially has great faith. If CJ gets rid of the ball on short stuff and gets it to Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba, and listen, while this offensive line is very good, listen, Luke Whipple never started before. Thayer Munford, I think, is, is still battling some stuff from a health standpoint. Dewan Jones never started before. You know, MPF was playing great, but his first year at left tackle. Paris never started before that I do think sometimes I think a lot of offenses, when you get in trouble, you lean on the run because that's really where your faith is. Because even though in modern football, passing is, is what it's all about, I do think a lot of teams, if you don't have great skill, running feels safer. I think it's possible that right now, passing feels safer to Ryan Day. And so when it's a little jacked up, that's where he leans. And I think we're seeing the effect of some of that. My main thing on this is, I thought Penn State's defense was excellent. I think potentially the Michigan State and Michigan defenses are very, very good. But to me, if Nebraska's giving you trouble, then a lot of people are going to give you trouble. And Oklahoma only scored 23 against Nebraska, but that was Oklahoma's Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma, that was so bad offensively they had to bench their quarterback. Like, that that was not a functional offense. Michigan scored 32 on Nebraska, but Michigan's like a one, you know, is a, is a run-first team that threw it against Michigan State, but, like, they can't throw it like Ohio State. Michigan State scored 23. They have Kenneth Walker third, but again – Yes, Nebraska has slowed other teams down, 
They're not giving up 45 points a week, but that's not the cohort that this Ohio State offense should be lumped in with. They don't want to be compared to Michigan, Michigan State, and jacked up Oklahoma. Ohio State's offense should be better than that. And that's why I didn't look at those results before this game and say, oh man, Nebraska's defense. Because to me, I thought, well, none of those teams had Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson with the Jigma, Trevon Henderson, Jeremy Ruckert, and CJ Stroud. So you take Wilson out of that, and I get it. We've said that matters. But that was a thing for me, Stephen. I just thought Ohio State's offense was above the rest of those offenses. But to me, I understood Penn State giving you trouble. Man, I don't care how good Nebraska played. Nebraska, to me, is sort of a normal good defense. And that's more about Ohio State than it is about Nebraska. I think – I'm. You have to hold out a little bit for of optimism of maybe a, they are still better than that and they can get better because all the things that we've been listing off during this podcast, they seem fixable. It's, hey, yes. offensive line, do your job better. Garrett's probably go- going – the way Ryan Day was talking, Garrett will be back. C.J. Stroud's going to continue to develop as the games go on, as young quarterbacks do. Uh, at some point, Ryan Day has, given a, has, has built up enough equity for us to believe that long-term he'll figure it out as a play caller. So you can still hold out hope that this offense is going to figure it out. Maybe it's not scoring 50 points every single week, but it gets to a point where it's still 35-plus and in that world that we thought they could do it, be in. So the, the, the optimism is if there is a side of the ball that is maybe going through some lumps and some growing pains right now at this point in the season, and you would say, oh, you'll be okay with that because you know it'll get better, it would be the offensive side of the ball while the defense continues to give you reason for optimism. Nathan, I want to ask you a very specific question. I made a big deal about Ohio State having a game plan for Indiana linebacker Micah McFadden two weeks ago. But I think as you pointed out then, they were able to do that in part because Indiana's corners were hurt and they didn't really have anybody else that you had to worry about defensively. Today, JoJo Doman at linebacker is, a, I think, a similar player to Micah McFadden. And JoJo Doman, like, was all over the place. They didn't, they weren't able to take him out of the game and account for him and block him and scheme around him. But maybe that's because Nebraska does have a couple extra people. Do you think that's a valid comparison on two very good Big Ten linebackers, one who did not make much of an impact and one who today made a huge impact? Well, it's a tougher comparison to make, though, because Doman might line up as a linebacker a lot. And again, I wasn't specifically watching this on every play, but he's kind of all over the place. Yeah, like he is much more. I would compare him more in usage to um, a, a bullet almost than what Micah McFadden is. Yep. So and, and I thought he affected Jeremy Ruckert in this game. I mean, he was huge early in this game. Like, he almost got that pick very early and then got the one, like, two plays later. Like, there were, like, three different interceptions C.J. Stroud almost threw on that one series. He finally got the third one. Uh, I was really impressed with him. I've always been pretty impressed with him. And as a guy that could just move around a defense and, and cause teams a lot of problems. So, it, it's, a, it's a tough comparison to make head-to-head with them. I do, think, I do think Nebraska, though, was a more whole defense today. Um, Cam Taylor-Britt's a pretty good cornerback. They've got some guys up front. As we've been talking about this offense, though, something that just popped into my mind, too, was that because they didn't play Kayvon Thibodeau, the best two defensive players Ohio State will play this year are guys they have not played yet, and they're going to play him in two of the next three weeks, and it's George Karloftis and Aiden Hutchinson. Like, George Karloftis is legit. I think people, you know, we'll see what Ohio State does against him next week because he hasn't played an offensive line like Ohio State's. But he affects games in a real way up front. 
a really high motor guy uh, as a as an edge rusher. And uh, if if some of these same things are coming up next week, I think it could create some problems for Ohio State. All right, one we have two more big picture texture questions, but one big picture theory that I'm wondering about. So this offense piled up yards, piled up points for a month, scored at least 52 points in four straight games. And the offensive line was dominating. I think CJ Stroud was feeling good. You know, we sort of talked about that and wrote about that and documented that, that after a tough start, taking the time off against Akron really got him in a good place in his head. But I'm going to go back to the answer Brian Hartline gave this week when I asked about route running. And he was like, yeah, no, uh, route running is not great. It's like a seat against Penn State. It's not great. And I was sort of surprised by that answer. Is it possible? Is it possible? And I didn't lead off with this because I don't think it's like the first thing that's the issue with this offense. Steven, did this offense get overconfident? Did this offense roll bad teams that Brian Hartline saying, no, our route running right now actually isn't that great? Is that perhaps permeating this offense from the receivers to the offensive line to the quarterback that they thought they had it figured out and now they're playing better teams and maybe realizing that they don't? I don't want to say that. They got overconfident because they're playing bad teams. I'll say that they got overconfident because nobody was challenging them, even if it was in a way that was leading to penalties. You know, Penn State got physical with them and was okay with the fact that every so often it's going to lead to a pass interference call. But they got physical with them, and they got under the they got under these wide receiver skins. You saw Chris Olave getting frustrated. You saw Garrett Wilson getting frustrated when they weren't throwing flags. In uh, this week, Nebraska kind of did the same thing. They got under their skin a little bit. And they got physical with them and got challenged, and the wide receivers didn't respond to that. So I'll say, not because they played bad teams, it's now teams are challenging them and they're not responding in the right way. Nathan, what do you think of all this? You know, I, I wouldn't often say this, but I would think if this team of all teams got overconfident, that would, to me, fall back on coaching in a, in a pretty big way because you've already taken one loss. So your margin of error, no matter what you do against Akron and Maryland and, and Rutgers, is still pretty small. And I don't get the vibe when I talk – when we talk to Brian Hartline, he doesn't seem like a guy who lets guys kind of fall back on their laurels. You know what I mean? Like he's a guy who's going to come in and tell you, um, I don't care how many – you know, Jackson's been the jig, but he's probably going to have some pretty pointed critiques for him, even though he caught 15 of his 18 targets and went for 240 yards. You know what I mean? He's going to have something to for him to sharpen this week. So I don't know that I think that it was the offense getting overconfident. I do wonder if let's compare this to 2019, where no matter how good that offense did in a given week, when it went back to practice on Tuesday and Wednesday and went good versus good, it was playing the best defensive end in the country. And it was playing um, two first round picks at corner. And it was playing what Jordan Fuller is at deep safety. And this, offense doesn't get tested by its own defense in practice the way that one did and i wonder sometimes if that's uh, something that's at play here too is the de- is the offense helping the defense more than the defense is helping the offense and the result is now the defense is better than the offense yeah and that's that's we've come full circle yeah. the defense is well, saving this team i don't believe they're still it. not playing i don't they're still not playing offenses that i have a lot of respect for they're no. not playing teams that can run the ball and um and, and I will say, too, like, one thing that we kind of – I asked this on the pod a couple weeks ago, I think, like, 
this this defense already being kind of starting to make some progress and then dropping Tyreek Smith on top of it. What was that going to do? I think we're seeing what that's going to do. He's been playing tremendous these last couple of weeks. I mean, I think Tyreek Smith is the last two weeks combined. He's their best player. Yes. Right? Is that yes? We, he's yes, drawn we don't like with that, right? He's yes. drawn like fifteen holding penalties and not called for a single one. Of them. <laughs> None that they've called, but yes, he is after it like almost every play. He's he's yes. absolutely getting after it. So credit to him for fighting through some nagging stuff and playing at a really high level in a way that is absolutely. Again, I'm not saying they would lose if they didn't have Tyreek Smith, but man, is he contributing to winning in a huge way when they really, really need it. All right, let's get to the last two questions. The first was. What is closest to your thinking about the Ohio State offense? I gave four answers. I will give them to you in most optimistic to least optimistic. It's still a great offense, but Nebraska had a great defense just like Penn State did. So that's like more like, hey, we played good opponents. What are you going to do? But this offense is still awesome. I'm wondering a little bit about them, but I think they'll still be great the rest of the year. So, all right, well, I get a couple of hiccups, but, you know, they're still awesome. Maybe the offense isn't as good as we thought. And they just were rolling for a month against bad defenses. Not saying they're bad, but like legitimately it's, it's maybe they just aren't quite what we thought they were, or I'm really worried about the offense. So again, still great. Wondering a little bit, Hey, they were just rolling up bad teams. Really worried. Steven, what do you think the textures put number one? I would say maybe they're not, as good as they thought, just because I thought so highly of them. I think this Texas, though, were the second one where they're a little concerned, but they're still pretty optimistic. All right. You'd say the third one, but you think the Texas said the second one. Uh, Nathan, what about you? I think it's probably wondering a little bit that second one. I don't think it can be that first one because I, as, as, I think Nebraska is pretty solid, but I didn't look at them the same way I look at Penn State where I felt like that defense had really good players at all three levels. I don't see Nebraska is quite that same thing. And I think this week would have to give you more pause that, that maybe it isn't quite as good. All right. So the third option barely won, but that still says something to me. Maybe the offense isn't as good as we thought. And they just were rolling for a month against bad defenses that got 45%. The slightly better. I'm wondering a little bit about them, but I think they'll still be great. was right behind at 44%. So that's, 89% of the people in the middle, as expected. Always the ends matter. 9% still great, only 2% I'm worried. But I did think it was interesting that maybe the offense isn't as good as we thought, which is, again, third on the list of optimistic to pessimistic, got 45%. That was a pretty strong showing, I think, for that kind of not great answer in some ways. I mean, not great for the team. Not that it's not a good answer by the texture. I think it is a good answer. All right. Last one, because we've spoken almost entirely about the offense. We'll certainly have time to talk about the defense the rest of the week. What is this is overall, though? This is about, about, right, you don't play half a team and half a team, especially it's all one thing. What is your current level of confidence that Ohio State will beat Purdue, Michigan State, and Michigan the next three weeks? Choices. I'm worried they're going to lose one. Mm. I think they'll win all three, but I could see a loss. And very confident they will win all three. What do you think won, Nathan? Very confident they'll win all three. Steven? I think the second one won, but very confident was a close second. So the people are shaken. Hmm. 54%, I think they will. 
but you could see a loss, more than half, 54%. Very confident they win all three, 28%. Worried they will lose one, 18%. So fewer than 30% of the texters still are on the very confident Ohio State winning out the rest of the regular season. We didn't talk about context today because this game warranted a deep discussion. But there is interesting context in a world where LSU almost beat Alabama, where Oregon was having trouble with Washington, at least for a little bit, where Cincinnati barely held on against Tulsa, right? Like, I don't want to be dismissive of the context, but truly, but listen, I mean, George is awesome and everybody else is going to have a little trouble sometimes. And that Ohio State maybe is, maybe they're still at or near the top of the pack, but like they're, I think they're definitely in the pack. It's not like Georgia, a gap, then Ohio state, and then a gap than everybody else. Like that's not, that's not where we are right now. There's a Georgia and then everybody else. But the only context that matters is, are they going to lose? And so are they going to play teams that if they do what they did Saturday, that that will make them lose that, that level of execution, that level of, I don't want to say effort, but just that playing that way, I don't know if that's good enough against David Bell and George Karloftis. I don't know if that's good enough against Mel Tucker. I don't know if that's good enough against Hassan Haskins and Jim Harbaugh and Cade McNamara. I don't know. It was on Saturday, but again, I just have a hard time having a ton of like, well, you know what, Nebraska, they had a lot of close losses and whatever. They're, they're three and seven. Their quarterback makes as many mistakes as he makes plays. Their coach has no idea how to coach a winning team in a game. And Nebraska had the ball down six with six minutes to play. So let's end on that real quick. Nathan, Ohio State did stop Nebraska when they needed to, when a game-winning drive was there for the taking. Yeah, but man, like we haven't even talked about the uh, dropping back the pass with TJ Stroud in that situation and the fumble and how much of a catastrophe they narrowly averted there too. I mean, but I still, I would still probably vote. I think they're going to win all three of these games because this was a game they did. They had, they came on the road against a team that was better than its record. They had played a lot of teams close. I'm not saying Nebraska, it should be <laughs> ranked. I'm just saying that they, they, I think their, their performance is better than their record showed. Their talent is probably better than their record showed. And Ohio state still even if it was a sketchy win, it still felt like they were a, a plane above that. The other team was still trying to, to stretch up and play at Ohio State's level. And I still think that these three teams that they're going to play are still more, from a talent-based standpoint, still more in that realm than what Ohio State is. It's just a matter of Ohio State getting back to where it clicks, just getting back into a groove on both sides of the ball, which I don't think is an unreachable thing for them at this point. To be frank, I saw today why Nebraska hadn't lost a game by more than eight points, but I also saw exactly why they didn't win any of those games because of how they handled that into the drive. I think that last play that Day tried to run with, with CJ gave me very strong Penn State 2019 vibes when Justin hurt his knee when they should have just been running the ball. Um, but I'm still, I'm still they're going to win all three games, but I just see enough there right now where some things can go very haywire if they don't nip some of this in the bud very quickly. But they have to play better, right? I mean, the thing about the last – Karloftis and Bell are far and above 
anything yeah. that Nebraska put yes. on the field. Yes. And yes. and Michigan yes. State across the board, Mel Tucker and Peyton Thorne, the quarterback, and the things they do, Kenneth Walker the third. I mean, nobody liked that on the Nebraska offense. And even Michigan has a has an identity and a way of doing things. And they have Aiden Hutchinson and John Ross and Daxton Hill that I think are three-level defenders that I, I just don't know. Again, they're going to get into a place where the three teams they're going to play the next three weeks are going to have some guys that could start at Ohio State. Who could have started for Nebraska? Who, who's, who would have started for Ohio State among Georgia Nebraska start? One, though? Is he the only one? Uh, no, I mean, he's the only one. Cam Taylor Britt might start. Mm-hmm. But but I think we're getting to a point where okay Nebraska might have had two, right? I think Purdue it has two who would be stars at Ohio State yeah, and maybe a couple more, and then Michigan State and Michigan are going to have seven, right? So I know we're not saying they're better, but I'm just saying like the talent level that they're getting to, I would say the talent level the next three weeks of the opponent is higher than Nebraska, and today was today. So I'm not panic button at all, though. I'm not panic button. I don't think it's panic button time, but I do think Ohio State has to play better. I think if Ohio State played how they played today, if they play like that, that level for the next three weeks, I think they'll lose one. The conversation isn't who has guys that could start at Ohio State because all these teams probably have two, but the level it's, it's how many of these teams have guys who can beat Ohio State. And Purdue's got two guys who can beat Ohio State. Michigan State's got two or three guys who can beat Ohio State. Michigan's got two or three guys who can beat Ohio State. That's the difference. It's not about who – I don't care if you can start here because you're not here. It's, can you beat – are you good enough to be the reason why your team beats Ohio State? And everybody that they're going to play going forward has a few of those guys. That's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. Nathan, do you agree with the idea that if Ohio State plays the way it played today, they'll lose one of the next three? I the, well, they're, if they're they're certainly very very vulnerable. I think yeah. all three of the teams they're going to play have their own vul- vulnerabilities too. Agreed. That Ohio State Agreed. can exploit. So but as does Nebraska. As does Nebraska. Yes, 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 yes. And I, I so the point that you're making is I think a, a fair and good one. Yes. But also, I mean, I think they will play better. As we said, there's nothing that we talked about on this podcast that's intractable that is impossible to overcome because we've seen it. And I, I do not believe we only saw this offensive line dominate CJ Stroud slice people up, Travion Henderson run wild, that kind of stuff, only because it was Rutgers. I just don't believe that was the only reason. There is a lot of good football within these offensive players, and just not as much was shown today as was expected. All right, that was a long podcast, but I think we needed to do that. Nathan and Steven on the scene in Nebraska. Getting it done, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk or cleveland.com slash OSU so you uh, read everything those guys are writing. We'll be back on the Monday Madness pod. And again, moments like this, it's really interesting time to be a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. For Nathan and Steven in Nebraska, I'm Doug in my basement, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.